He's been harassing me ever since, so that's all right. All right, if you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I asked Brother Josh, I said, okay, so sometimes when you get a guest preacher in there, sometimes you want maybe something in particular preached on. So I'm like, is there any, any theme you know that you would want me to hit on or whatsoever? You have a very intelligent pastor because of what he said to me was, preach on anything you want as long as it's from the Bible. <laughs> and I said, you know... That is a great response because then you're never going to get yourself in trouble that way. <laughs> so whatever comes from today, it's all from God's Word. It's all what God has to speak to you. And so I, I was thinking about it and I asked him, so what have you been preaching on? He's like, well, we just started through the book of Jonah. And I'm like, okay, well, where do you think you'll be at? Probably the end of chapter 1. And when I think about Jonah, a lot of times... For me, as a, as a pastor, I, I look at the leadership aspect of it, and I look at the strengths and the failings of Jonah, and oftentimes I see almost a spiritual arrogance about Jonah that I don't know if you guys noticed up to this point, but, but Jonah, it's almost as if when he doesn't want to do something for God, he just, he'll run away from it. And why would you run away from what God has for you unless you feel like you're smarter or better than God, or you know something more than He does. And so sometimes we as Christians, we're all called to, to minister in a particular way. Sometimes we, as ministers of the gospel, being all of us collectively as the church, we hide the treasure that's inside of us rather than sharing it with the world. Whether that be from embarrassment about ourselves, or maybe, in fact, we're ashamed of the gospel, if we're honest with ourselves. And so this passage of Scripture just really stuck out to me. But before we get into it, I want to just kind of start with some basics so we can have some understanding before we walk into this passage. And so I want to talk a little bit about this pottery or these earthen vessels, this reference that Paul is about to make here. And so pottery in and of itself is clay that is modeled, dried, and fired usually with a glaze or finish, into a vessel or decorative object. Now, I want you to pay attention to these words as I say them, because all of these words will have specific meanings as we go along. So they're modeled, dried, and fired, usually with a glaze or finish, into a vessel or a decorative object. Clay is a natural product dug from the earth. The potter can form his product in one of many ways. Clay may be modeled by hand or with the assistance of a potter's wheel, may be jiggered using a tool that copies the form of a, a master model onto a production piece, may be poured into a mold and dried or cut or stamped into squares or slabs. The methods for forming pottery are as varied as the artisans who create them. Pottery must be fired to a temperature high enough to mature the clay meaning that the high temperature hardens the piece to enable it to hold water. An integral part of this firing is the addition of liquid glaze. It may be painted on or dipped in the glaze to the surface of the unfired pot, which changes chemical composition and fuses to the surface of the fired pot. Then the pottery is called vitreous, meaning it can hold water. You say, well, that's a, a lot of information there, Brother Travis. I see a lot. I know we talk about God being the potter and us being the clay, but what does this, this whole process have to do here? 
And the key for this process is understanding that God is doing this process in each and every one of us. And all of these pieces, all of these processes have a particular meaning so that we can reveal and carry the hidden treasure that He has placed inside of us to a lost and dying world. Now read with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-15. through 15. I'm reading out of the New King James. So he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels are like clay, plot, clay pots, referring to the human body. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Verse 11, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Let us pray for just a moment. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the potter and we are the clay. And I pray today that you would continue to, to mold us, to make us exactly what you would want us to be. Not for our glory, but for your own. Lord, I don't know where we are in our lives. We're all in different places, different stages, different ages. Whatever it may be, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each and every person here. Use me to speak to their hearts, that you may receive glory. Use me as an earthen vessel that I may speak your word to other earthen vessels who may go out as well and speak your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this first verse here, this first verse really sets up for everything else that comes after it. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Whose church is this? It's God's church. Whose pulpit is this? It's God's pulpit. Whose are you? Should be God's. And so, if everything is God's, and everything we're capable of doing is from God, how can we ever take pride in that? But just so that we can't get arrogant, what happens? God uses earthen vessels, frail, fragile human beings... How many of us are going to live forever physically? Probably none of us. Unless Jesus returns today and remakes our bodies, we're all going to die physically, but we can live spiritually. So we all are in a delicate, fragile state. We don't know when we leave here today, are we going to be alive? Are we going to make it? Are we even going to make it out of this parking lot? We just never know. We may not make it out of this building for all we know. But God uses that frailty, that fragility of humanity 
so that his power and his glory can be manifested through us. That he can use us for greater purposes so that he receives the glory and not humanity. Sometimes we think that we need to be good enough to serve God. Sometimes people will tell you, I'm not good enough to go to church. I don't wear nice enough clothes. I don't look the part. I I drink, I cuss, I smoke. I do all these things I shouldn't do. I need to get my act together before I go to church. And what they're failing to recognize is that none of us are good enough to be here. None of us are good enough for God. But it's God in us that makes us capable of serving, that gives us our value. John MacArthur writes this about the situation, why Paul even wrote this in the first place. It says, and why is this being discussed here? Well, you know the background. Paul was being attacked in Corinth, that beloved congregation to which he had given so much of his heart and soul and time and energy had been invaded by false teachers. They wanted to replace Paul so they could teach lies. In order to do that, they needed to discredit him, and so they started a full-blown character assassination effort against him. He was attacked as being inept, unimpressive in appearance, in fact, downright ugly and blemished. And they said his speech was contemptible. He was plain and common and weak and unimpressive. He had no personal attractiveness. He was not charming. He was not clever. He had no persona. He had no oratorical talent to win the masses to the gospel. And so they began by just assaulting him in his own personal characteristics. The attack, of course, was part of an all-out effort to destroy the confidence of the Corinthians in him so they would turn to the false teachers and listen to their demonic doctrines. What is Satan doing to the church today? Attacking in the same way. See, times may change. Cultures may change, but Satan is still at work. And so what happens? Well, your church isn't big enough to do that. You don't have smart enough people. You don't have enough money. You've got too many sins in your life to be able to handle this. You're never going to be good enough, so just stop trying. Satan infiltrates churches and individuals with these lies. So that he can come in, cripple you, and destroy you so that the gospel cannot be used. When in the reality is God wants you on purpose, who you are, where you are, so that he can make you into what you need to be for his glory. See, clay pots and earthen vessels were used for both honorable and dishonorable purposes. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. They were cheap, common, replaceable, valueless, and homely. Their only value, listen to this, their only value was in the service that they performed. They had no intrinsic worth whatsoever. Our value is found in our Creator. And because we have been made in God's likeness as His creation, our value comes from God. Not from the job we work, the house we have, the car we drive, how many degrees we have. None of that stuff gives us true value. It's all temporary, it's all earthly, and it all fades away. But the lasting permanent value comes from God himself. So I want to spend just a little bit of time this morning talking about how do we as earthen vessels, these frail human beings, with no 
necessary intrinsic value to be able to serve God, how do we bring God glory? How do we do this? Well, first of all, we see in verses 8 and 9 that earthen vessels are made beautiful through fire. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. If we are so delicate and fragile, how is it that when Satan attacks, we don't just crumble? We don't just fall apart? It's because God is molding us and making us and using this fire to strengthen and mature us. When we talked about this story earlier, this description of using fire in the process of making pottery, it says pottery must be fired to a temperature high enough to mature the clay, which enables the piece to hold water. That fire is being used to mature us, to make us whole, to make us complete. Some of your your translations at times will say the word perfect. That just means coming to Christian maturity. It's the process of sanctification. A a fancy church word, a $5 church word that we use to basically just say, God has taken you from point A to point B, and it's going to be a little rough in between. God is going to change you from who you are to who He's called you to be. And you just have to walk in obedience as He does this. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Everything we need is found in our Creator. Okay? Can I get an amen out of that? Everything we need is found in our Creator. Everything. Not some things. Not just a little bit. Not just He's going to fill in the gaps. Everything we need comes from God Himself. And when God, who is perfect, is working in our lives, He's getting rid of these impurities. He's making it to where when we come across these hard times, these trials in lives, we may get knocked down. We may get knocked on our behinds. But guess what? What's going to happen next? I can get back up and I can move on again and keep on going. But what Satan tries to do is knock us down so that he can knock us out. If I can knock you down a few notches to where you're no longer capable of serving, then I've knocked you out of God's army and you can no longer serve Him. Not that you lose your salvation, but now you're no longer a productive Christian. You're no longer sharing the light. You're no longer sharing your faith. You're no longer excited about coming into church and growing and leading other people in their faith. Now it's just, i got to get up and go to church this morning. It's my duty to go today. There's no joy. There's no peace, peace in that whatsoever. We come to that place where it is it's manual labor to be a part of the body when it should be all-encompassing joy for us. God uses common vessels because they are common materials put through strenuous circumstances to be enabled for glorious tasks. Where does clay come from? Did anybody catch that? Where does clay come from? The ground, the earth. Where does man come from? The ground, the earth. See, see, God doesn't just put things in His Word just because they make clever little catchphrases for preachers to preach on. He does it to connect you back to more of His Word, to grow stronger in your faith. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Man came from where? The dust of the ground. He came from the ground. And what gave him value? When God breathed in him. 
When God breathed in his nostrils, formed him, made him, gave him value at that point. What's he saying here? Well, guess what? All of us are earthen vessels. All of us are from the ground, essentially. And God is wanting to breathe in life, but it takes this fire to mature us, to make us who we need to be, to make us capable of serving him how he wants us to. From the ordinary elements of the world that he created out of nothing, God makes beauty shine through. But he doesn't just stop there. We continue on in the next two verses to see the second point here. Earthen vessels are made to carry. Earthen vessels are not just there for the purpose of sitting on a shelf and looking pretty. That's called a decorative object. Remember those two, two uses we first talked about? You're either a vessel or you're a decorative object. Either being used for a purpose or you're sitting on a shelf just looking pretty. And if we're honest, sometimes we're more of a decorative object than we are a true vessel for Christ. And so we see this here. Pottery must be fired to a temperature high enough to mature the clay, which enables the piece to hold water. Oh, buddy, there's a sermon right there to preach. To hold water. Well, what does Jesus call himself in his ministry? Living water. So what are we here to carry? We're here to carry Jesus to the world. We're here to, to carry the, the, the water itself that you will never thirst again. Jesus did them, this himself, and then he shows us how to do it as well. In John chapter 4, verse 5 through 10, this Samaritan woman. Now, before we even get into that, what was a Samaritan woman in that culture of that day? Less than dirt in their eyes. There are prayers that Jewish people used to pray where they would actually pray for Samaritans to be away from them. Pray for them to have the worst possible death and punishment possible because they were considered half-breeds. And then you look at a culture that men are here and women are here. So you've got a half-breed woman, and what did Jesus do? He didn't go around as most Jews would have at that point. He didn't go around Samaria. He went straight to this woman because he had a divine appointment to go meet this woman and share the true living faith, to give her living water. And so, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Jesus spoke to this woman. This woman with no value, this woman who is a half-breed, Jesus spoke to her. That in and of itself would have been amazing in this day, but he didn't stop. He says, give me a drink. He asked her for something. Why would you want... Just imagine going to the ghetto of Chicago, finding the worst possible drug dealer you could find in a crack house and asking them for something. Going straight there and asking them for something. That's kind of a modern day equivalent. That's kind of what Jesus did here. It says, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Most of us, that crackhead, 
in the ghetto of Chicago, how many of us are going to go visit them? If we're honest with ourselves, what are we going to try to do? A lot of times we're going to try to avoid it. Kids, you need to stay away from there. Don't ever go to that neighborhood. Don't ever be a part of that because you don't want to get involved with those things. But Jesus went straight there and then asked her for something with a purpose. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you Living water. This living water that would never go away. This living water that doesn't have to be. Every time you turn around, you drink more, you drink more. This idea that you can lose your salvation. No, that salvation is an eternal salvation that continues on forever. We have this living water that's inside of of us when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He continues to live there. But are we carrying Him for His purposes? And in John chapter 7, verse 38, He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So we as earthen vessels are meant to carry the living water, but we're not just meant to hold it inside. We're meant to share this living water that will never run out with as many people as we possibly can. Your pastor... This last week has been doing exactly that. Sharing with people who otherwise would have never heard involved in voodoo and witchcraft and all kinds of other things. May have never received medical care. Meeting their practical needs. And then sharing with them who this Jesus is. This Jesus who came as God, became man. Lived this life as we all live. Was beaten persecuted, spat on, hung on a cross for all to see to try to shame Him, died, was buried, but didn't stay dead, rose again. This is that Jesus who we are sharing. This is that Jesus who lives inside of us and empowers us. And this is that Jesus we need to be sharing with others and carrying to the ends of the earth if we truly have this living water. If we claim to be born-again believers... We cannot just sit here as a decorative pot. We have to go out as a vessel on mission for God. Finally, we see also that earthen vessels are made to be consistent. Now, this is kind of a strange idea here, but this consistency we see in the last few verses here, and you'll see the point in just a moment. It says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. So we have the same faith. We as a church, we should have the same faith. We may not agree on every issue. Let's be honest with that. Anybody ever been to a Baptist business meeting? You get five people, six opinions, okay? It just happens. We're we're human beings. That's the way it works. But we ultimately share the same faith in a risen, living Savior who leads us and guides us day after day. And because of that, we also believe and therefore we speak. This is a universal commandment for the church. If you have the same faith, you're a believer and you should be sharing that faith with other people. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. We know that one day... These bodies, though they may enter into the ground, they will be made new. We will have new resurrected bodies one day when Jesus returns. 
It says, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Ultimately, everything that happens is for the glory of God. The sharing of our faith, the expanding of the kingdom through the sharing of our faith, is carrying the, the living water brings glory to God because people can see the maturation process happening in us, becoming more mature, more complete. They see that. They see the living water being carried, that living water being shared with other people. The kingdom begins to grow. A lot of times we refer to this as revival. When the reality is God refers to this as normal Christianity. Because it was never about just having a fancy building. It was always about going out into the world to share our faith. And then to meet together. To build each other up. And then to go out and do the same thing again. This place should be flooded with living water. This earth should be flooded with living water. If we were only obedient to carry the living water to the ends of the earth. As Paul writes in this passage, he clearly indicates a unity and uniformity to the earthen vessels. Paul uses words like same spirit of faith to bring out the unifying nature of the purpose of the earthen vessels. Now, I'm not saying we're all going to look exactly alike. We're all going to be different. If you go reach a group of bikers, they're going to look a little different, okay? If you go reach a bunch of kids, the church is going to look a little bit different. But ultimately... You should see Christ in each and every person. We should see a unity in the church that people can't explain. You know, most businesses right now, I've got a a background in, in business. So in business, there's always the talk about how to to unify the vision of an organization. And they try to use all these methodologies to be able to accomplish this. Essentially, what they're trying to do is bring together... Tens, hundreds, thousands of employees of earthen vessels with a sin nature together using worldly means. And what happens is sometimes it works for a little while, but what happens when somebody else takes over? It all changes. The scope of things, they all change. Well, for us, the person in charge never changes. You said you're, you're the longest pastor, 13 years. Pastors may change. Okay? God, God calls us. God moves us around at times. Whether we like it or not, God does that at times. But ultimately, the pastor's not the one in charge. Who's the one in charge? God. Christ is the head of the church. That never changes. So though our circumstances may change, we're always united in our faith because of who's ultimately in charge. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For as a body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also in Christ. You may look different, you may have different gifts, you may have different talents, but ultimately we are one. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is hard for us today. How many of us want to be right? Okay? 
Let's be, if you're a man in this room, just raise your hand and get it over with, okay? <laughs> Let's be honest about this. We all want to be right. <laughs> and sometimes we are willing to sever relationships to make our point, to make ourselves look better. I'm right. I watch my kids do this all the time. I've got a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and twin 2-year-olds. Please pray for me, okay? <laughs> the 10-year-old and the 8-year-old, they're always fighting. The 10-year-old, he's too much like me. He, he's a perfectionist. And so if you say something slightly off, he's going to correct you because he wants to be right. And we're having to, to help him understand, just leave it be. Sometimes it's better just to leave some things alone because all you're doing is arguing rather than building up the other person. If you don't share, share love and affection and build a relationship, you're never going to be allowed to correct them when they are truly wrong about something that does matter. And so, he may have said it wrong, but you know what he meant? Give him the grace. We need to do that in the church sometimes. Sometimes we say something a little bit off, or we assume the worst about one another, but the reality is, we need to give people grace. We need to always be believing the best about the other person. It's not just 1 Corinthians 13 for a wedding ceremony. It's 1 Corinthians 13 for life. For every aspect of our lives. Learning to love. That's how we become consistent earthen vessels that truly show God's glory. Because what is one of the, the biggest arguments about people coming to church? Well, I don't want to go to church because they're all hypocrites. They see an inconsistency that's never meant to be there. If God is the potter, He made the clay... He's molded the clay. The clay's been exposed to fire. Why is it that that earthen vessel doesn't look like what it's supposed to? People are seeing something different. It's because we've thrown some other junk in there along the way as well. We're being inconsistent in our lives, and we're never meant to be that way. We're supposed to be consistent vessels that contain the living water of Christ to be able to share with the world. And when we experience those hard times, it's just God trying to make sure we're all we need to be to be able to carry that. That we're capable of carrying that living water to the next place that we need to go. So the key we must remember is that an earthen vessel on its own is nothing. Without God, we are nothing. Let's be honest about that. Without God, yeah, I can go through this world, and some people do, do go through this world, but there's no purpose, there's no value, there's no goal, there's no hope, there's no joy. It's just live however I want to, try to enjoy today because I'm going to die and I'm going to be nothing. That's all the hope there is without Christ. But God, God gives us this hope in Christ of eternal life. See, an earthen vessel is always meant to be carried by someone greater. When you carry a bucket of water, does that bucket of water carry itself? No. If I put a bucket of water on the ground, what's going to happen? It's just going to stay there. You know, and you leave it long enough, what's going to happen? It's going to maybe get stagnant. It's going to maybe get some, some flies or gnats, and it's going to get kind of nasty over time. It's going to evaporate after a while. It's not meant to just stay there. It's meant to be carried somewhere else and used for a purpose. We are earthen vessels being carried by a living Savior for a purpose in this world. Fred Fisher writes, The gospel was contained in earthen vessels, but the power of God could overcome human weakness. 
Therefore, Paul's painful experiences did not lead him to despair. The power in Paul was the same that brought Jesus from the grave. The power that lives in us. Those of us who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. We recognize that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We recognize that Jesus died on the cross for us, but didn't stay dead. He rose again. That power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is living in us today. So when we go through this life as this earthen vessel, we are an earthen vessel that contains unimaginable power to see our world changed. We get upset when we watch the news, when we see our taxes go up, when whatever else happens, when this world is crumbling and falling apart, and we just sit there and we mope. When the reality is, is the reason all of this is happening is because we live in a broken, sin-filled world that needs the message of hope. They need to see Jesus. And that power that rose Jesus from the grave, that's the power living in us telling us, get out there and go do what you've been called to do. Now that may be in your workplace, it may be in a ministry, it may be as a missionary, it could be as a student, whatever it may be. But when you're called to do something, don't think I'm not good enough because of what I look like on the outside. Think, I've got the more, most power I could ever imagine living inside of me, and though I don't think I can do it, God living in me can do it. Though I may not be capable of doing it, if God's called me to do it, He's going to see me through it. The important thing about a vessel, however, is that it has to be clean, empty, and available for service. So as we're getting ready to have a time of invitation here, I've got a couple questions I want to ask you. If you are this earthen vessel, which God calls us, are you clean? Be honest with yourselves. Have you cleansed your heart before God? Have you repented of those things in your life that, that maybe have been an obstacle to you? Maybe some sins that you're struggling with, some sins that you're dealing with. Maybe some unforgiveness in your heart for someone else. Or maybe you need to ask forgiveness from someone that you've offended. Are you empty? Are you trying to do it yourself? Or are you allowing God to do it in you? I've got this problem myself. I am very independent. And if possible, I try to do everything possible to get it done myself before I ask anybody for help. I cannot stand to ask for help. But you know what God does all the time to me? He puts me in circumstances where it's impossible for me to make it alone. And so I finally just have to come to this place where I just surrender to Him, say, you know what? I can't do it, I'm not capable. I give it to you. Anything you would want, do it through me. And are you available to serve God? Have you put so much stuff, so much junk in your life that you've left no room for God? Activities are great. But sometimes activities interfere with the true ministry that God has for us. So we may be busy, 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 but when we come to the end of this life, are we busy how God called us to? Or were we just busy to be busy? And for some of you here today, maybe there's one here today that would say, I've, I've, I understand what you're saying to a point, but I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. 
I've never met him as my Savior and Lord. I don't even know what those things mean. What does it mean, Savior and Lord? All it means is this. God is perfect and we are not. We are sinners. We are broken. We fail at times. And God's standard for heaven is not doing a bunch of good stuff. It's His character of perfection. And on our own, we can never do that. We can never get there. But God provided a way through Jesus. God sent Jesus, God in human form, fully human, fully man, fully God. To die on the cross for your sins so that there could be a way to God forever. Jesus died. He was buried in a tomb, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. Defeating death so that you can defeat death as well. And all that he asks is for you to believe that that's true. And confess Him as your Lord and Savior. And all all Lord means is just that you put Him in charge of your life. You stop trying to do it all on your own. And you let Him lead you. You let Him guide you. And so if there's anyone here today that maybe maybe you need to, to cleanse yourself, to empty yourself, to make yourself available for service. Or maybe there's other here today who say, I'm, I'm still in that stage where I'm just clay. I don't feel... Like God has ever molded me into the person that I'm meant to be. Maybe it's because you just have never established that relationship. I pray today would be that day. As you come, as we sing this song, the altar's open. If you need to just come up here and have somebody pray for you, I'd be happy to do that. If you would love to join this church, to be a member of this church, to be part of that unified body, I ask that you come as well. Please stand. Without Him I could do nothing Without